Welcome to the Broken to Unbroken podcast with Dr. Nick Askey, where we dive deep into how to eliminate pain and continue to train. Welcome to episode 11 of the Broken to Unbroken podcast. This episode, we're going to be answering a couple questions relating to nutrition. Um, the first question is from Neil, and Neil asks, what are the best pre- and post-workout nutrition? So we're going to talk about that. Um, the big thing you need to know is this is very dependent on what your exercise protocol is because your pre and post workout nutrition is going to be a lot different if you're a distance runner than if you're rolling doing BJJ or doing CrossFit or doing yoga there's very different demands nutritionally for those different activities another thing you need to consider is what are your goals someone's nutrition is going to look a lot different if their goal is weight loss versus a 120 pound high school boy that's trying to pack on lean mass and gain weight. So those approaches are gonna be very different. So let's say you're trying to lose weight uh, to, in an extreme scenario, like if you're having to make weight with jujitsu, then you're probably not gonna to wanna to take creatine because creatine causes water to build up in your muscles and you'll gain weight. When I'm on creatine, when I'm cycling on it, it usually makes me about six pounds heavier and I'm not a, not a huge person. Uh, usually I'm around 190. Uh, and when I cycle on the creatine, probably 195, 196. Another thing you need to think about is carbohydrate. Carbohydrate is stored as glycogen in the muscle and the liver. Glycogen will hold on to three times its weight in water. That's why the Atkins diet was so popular. That's why the keto diet is popular now, because if you deplete the muscle and liver of glycogen, you lose that water weight. And that's pretty substantial in somebody like I can basically fluctuate eight or nine pounds with body with water weight. If I'm hydrated and topped off on glycogen levels, I'm going to be eight seven, eight pounds heavier than when I'm in ketosis and maybe not the most hydrated. So if you're trying to put on muscle mass, you need to manage your caloric intake. You need more calories. That's why Mark Ripito, who is one of the most entertaining strength coaches out there, uh, he started starting strength and he's down here in Wichita Falls. He has the gallon of milk a day. So you're drinking a full gallon of whole milk a day to put on strength because he says it's the closest thing to legal steroids out there. There's 3,500 calories in a gallon of whole milk. That's what I did a lot of when I was putting on weight in college. So you also need to think about nutrient timing because some people, they'll argue that there's an anabolic window, but I, I think it's... It makes intuitive sense to not wait for two hours after your workout to refuel things from your workout. You should probably try and get that in within 30 minutes. You don't have to like have it in a camelback on your back. So when you're laying on the ground, just finishing the workout that you're sucking down protein, but you probably don't want to wait until after you've driven an hour to work to, to have your, your post-workout nutrition. So I'm going to, 
go through the basics of what I do. And this is not necessarily the best for everybody because I generally practice intermittent fasting where my first meal isn't till noon. So I don't want to break that fast. Uh, I work out at five in the morning. So I usually get up at about 20 after four. Uh, I'll pour an espresso in just a black espresso, take my vitamins. Uh, my pre-workout shake has either five or 10 grams of creatine in it. And that's just a basic creatine monohydrate. I do three scoops of the Great Lakes hydrolyzed gelatin. And you can find that on Amazon. This basically has collagen in it. And that's there's been studies to show that it actually does make it into human cartilage. And so it's very bioavailable, more so than if you're taking glucosamine or chondroitin. Um, and then <clears throat> I take the Extend Elite uh, branch chain amino acids and those are not enough to break my fast. There's zero sugar in them. There's electrolytes in it. There's ashwagandha, which is an adaptogenic herb. And then I take the, the shroom tech from uh, on it. And that has ashwagandha, which is an adaptogenic herb. It's also cholinergic, which means it, it helps you make acetylcholine, uh, which is an excitatory neurotransmitter has a green tea extract, rhodiola, which is a similar effect to caffeine, and then methyl B12, cordyceps mushrooms, which are another adaptogenic herb, and they've been used for performance enhancement, astragalus, which has a synergistic activation effects on the cordyceps mushroom, and then chromium for blood sugar levels. And that sounds like a long list, but that's all in one capsule in that shroom tech formula. So to review, I just do a shot of espresso, a shake with creatine, a few scoops of the hydrolyzed gelatin. And if you're looking at that on Amazon, make sure you get the green container, not the red one, because the hydrolyzed gelatin will not clump because gelatin is supposed to form gel. If you get the red one, it'll clump up. It won't mix. It'll be really gaggingly gross. And then the Extend Elite branch chain amino acids. There's a bunch of different flavors out there. The only thing that makes it this one elite is it does have the electrolytes and the ashwagandha in it. And then four of the Shroom Tech capsules. So that's my pre-workout nutrition. Uh, post-workout nutrition. Uh, I don't usually have a post-workout nutrition. But things to keep in mind for you is if you're trying to manage weight loss or you're, you're trying to time your nutrients to where you can get your calories in and they're not going to just go to straight butts and guts. You want to ideally break your fast right after a workout because you, you're not insulin dependent when you're in that window right after a workout. So if you're going to cheat, you kind of want to cheat right after a workout because those that that's just going to top off your muscle glycogen. So as Rob Wolf mentions a lot of times, if you're going to have wine or dark chocolate or a cocktail, it's best to do it right when you get home from a workout. That's not great news for me because I would be indulging in all that bad stuff right before I go in and treat patients for 12 hours. So as far as post-workout uh, recovery, I found three main uh, good just 
basic whey protein. Uh, the J-Rob uh, whey protein, it, it mixes up really well. It's cross-filtered microscreens so that you don't need to put it in a blender. It shakes up really well. It's super tasty. Three fuel, um, it's, it's a very good formula. It does have all three macros in it. Uh, very clean ingredients. I trust the the founder and owner of this company, uh, Brian McKenzie. He he always puts out legit products and really does his homework. He's definitely a, a mad scientist, and I hope he's doing well with his neck recovery because he had a, a pretty big spill not too long ago. But it looks like he's back on the on the war path again. So. Uh, and then Primal Kitchen from Mark Sisson, uh, he has a chocolate coconut primal fuel that's pretty tasty. Um, so I'll throw another two scoops of the Great Lakes in there. And I only do this post-workout uh, if I'm having trouble maintaining body weight. If I'm losing a bunch of weight or I just feel stressed and I'm not getting enough caloric intake or it's a max out week, uh, where we're just hitting a lot of Metcons and I'm rolling for six hours a week, then I will do this just to supplement my caloric intake. And I just put the intermittent fasting on the back burner, just because if you are deprived of adequate nutrients, you're not getting enough protein or hydration, you're not going to be able to heal, remodel and recover from that amount of exercise load. Also keep in mind when you're reading labels on these protein supplements, Anything more than 30 to 40 grams is just going to waste. So if there's something that's 50 bucks and they say, oh, it's 80 grams per serving, uh, you can kind of double your money for that and just do half the dosage because anything between 40 and 80 grams of protein is just waste. And it also puts you in a, in a compromising situation on nitrogen balance and overloads your kidneys Granted, you're not going to shut them down. Like that's a old wives tale with uh, parents that I hear when they're nervous about their kid taking protein shakes. You just got to make sure you're drinking plenty of water and why waste your money if it's not going to do you any good taking 80 grams of protein when 30 to 40 is more than adequate. So on cardio heavy days, like if I'm going for a long run or it's a longer grind out 20, 30 minute Metcon, I'm... Um, I'll take the three fuel because it does have a little bit more carbohydrate in it to, to kind of top off the tank, or I'll add a waxy maze supplement, which is pure glucose, which means that will go straight to the muscle glycogen and bypass the liver. If you are eating fruit or things that have fructose in them, those have to kind of make a pit stop in the liver. And there's like a two hour delay in the liver before those are available to your muscles. So similar to that talk we had about with protein, you don't want to wait two hours to give your body the fuel that it needs. So this gives you an immediate boost to top off that muscle glycogen so that you can continue to train. It's also very effective in scenarios like the CrossFit games where these people are doing five, six workouts in a day and you need to top off the tank as much as possible. I would not recommend it if I was talking to a buddy of mine, Travis, uh, and he is going to compete in Vegas at the international uh, in an international jujitsu tournament. And I was telling him, I'm like, okay, this will help you recover. 
either with waxy maize or like sweet potato baby food because that's vegetable based. It's not going to go hang out in the liver for two hours. But if he has to weigh in every match, he's not going to want to do that because he is going to hang on to a lot more water weight and he's going to gain weight and he's going to miss his weigh-ins by supplementing with that carbohydrate. On the lift heavy days, like if let's say we go in and we just do two max lifts, I'm not going to add any carbs to my post-workout nutrition. That's going to be primarily protein-based. So I'll go more with the J-Rob or the, the Primal Kitchen just to eliminate the extra carbs. Because if I didn't deplete my muscle glycogen with a long grind out cardio Metcon session, I'm not going to add surplus carbohydrate to the system because that turns into butts and guts. So I'm going to lead in a little bit on the supplements for sleep, but I'm going to do a podcast on all things sleep. So I don't want to steal the thunder on that, but I do take the on it key minerals uh, supplement that has calcium, molybdenum, molybdenum, aluminum, uh, magnesium, iodine, and boron. And I take that at night because minerals you typically want to take on an empty stomach, whereas vitamins you want to take with food. Because if it's a fat-soluble vitamin, you need to take it with some fat so that your body can absorb it. But minerals are more adequately absorbed when you have an empty stomach. And my stomach is usually empty before I go to bed. And then I take a magnesium glycinate. That is a chelated form of magnesium. I take 400 milligrams. Um, And that is the chelate that has been shown to be most effective as a soft tissue muscle relaxer. Whereas magnesium citrate is more of a GI laxative type effect. But keep in mind that the glycinate form will also give you that laxative effect if you don't slowly ramp up. We fondly refer to that as disaster pants or ATF, afraid to fart. So just be wary of that. Don't overdo the magnesium. Uh, Little funny side story. I did have a patient uh, about seven, eight years ago that went and bought the liquid magnesium citrate from Walmart. It was a little eight ounce bottle. And he calls me all distressed from his bathroom. He's like, Doc, that tasted terrible. And he sent me a picture of the bottle. And I go, hey, man, how many servings was in that? And it was 32 servings. And he drank the whole bottle. And he definitely worked uh, abroad from his bathroom and took a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, conference calls from his bathroom. Uh, in the censored words of my father, he could have pooped through a screen door and not touched a wire. Uh, so be careful of that. Uh, and then I also take uh, on nights that I have to wind down pretty quickly, uh, Dr. Parsley's sleep remedy. And we will discuss that in more detail in the All Things Sleep podcast. So on to the next question. Uh, Tom asked, um, Please discuss the holistic slash natural foods out there. How do we read through the marketing to determine if which of these foods are beneficial or will add value? So I'm going to just give some basic talking points here. Uh, A lot of this is just going to be pretty basic, but it doesn't have to be hard. Uh, if, If a food has to make bold claims on the label, uh, it's probably not the most beneficial. Like 
there was a bottle of water in Bali and it said it was organic water. It's like, if you have to tell me that water in a bottle is organic, you're just putting a bunch of window dressings so that you can charge more money for it because there's no such thing as organic water. Um, and also keep in mind that if you're looking for some magical plant in the Amazon to make you lose weight, there is no shortcut to anywhere worth going. Like You just need to move more, eat real food, probably eat smaller portions, stop eating when you're 80% full, and it is not sexy, but it does work. When you go to the grocery store, you don't, all the garbage is buried in the aisles. Like if you take a lap around the outside, like you're driving NASCAR, that's where they put the real food. Because when you go into our HEB, it's all the produce when you walk in, and then you've got the, the meat aisle, and then you've got the, the dairy, the eggs, and all of that is on the periphery of the store. So all the stuff that has all the processed foods is kind of buried in the middle. The only thing we go into the middle aisles for is bottled water and coffee beans and, and a sauce here and there. So make sure you stay the bulk of your time on the periphery. If it has ingredients that your grandparents wouldn't recognize, that's probably a red flag because the our bodies don't recognize synthetic chemicals that have been made in a, a lab somewhere to make something more shelf stable. And we, we don't know how to metabolize that. That's why some people freak out when they eat MSG. Uh, and in general, like grains and dairy are very, fairly new on our, our evolutionary timeline. So there are certain groups of people that are not very good at metabolizing dairy and gluten. And this is not full-blown celiac, but it's enough to irritate their system and make them less resilient to stress and raise their systemic inflammation level to where that sore heel, instead of three, feeling like a three, may feel like a six. Um, in there are certain foods that are churched up as um, like, oh, we're, there's fat-free Twinkies. Those are health claims, and that's still not very healthy for you. Uh, and keep in mind, gluten-free cookies, cakes, those kind of things, those are still treats because they're still very carb-dense. It doesn't matter if something's gluten-free if you're eating a hundred grams or 200 grams of carbs in one sitting. So those are still treats. Uh, you want to eat real whole foods, not too much, mostly plants. So that's a, a saying from Michael Pollan. He's got a couple of really good books. That one came from the, the book In Defense of Food. And then also he wrote Omnivore's Dilemma, which is a, a very great read. It's probably in my top 10 all time. And it, I would very highly recommend that one. And from Rhonda Patrick, she's a PhD. Uh, she puts out a lot of quality material on nutrition and saunas and cold exposure and cancer prevention. So she says she treats meat as a side or a condiment and not an entree. So the bulk of her plate is vegetables, and then she sparingly eats quality meat. Um, if you want to learn more about Rhonda, she she really puts out a lot of good material. A lot of her stuff I have to listen to a couple times just because she's a super nerd. 
uh, and it's awesome. Uh, she has a podcast called Found My Fitness. So give her a follow, give her a listen. She's got great things on nutrition and training and in heat shock proteins and saunas and all that good stuff. So also a lot of people ask me about the, the whole organic buzzword. Organic, when it comes to produce, organic matters. I don't care about organic beef. Uh, with meat, cage-free and grass-fed mean more to me than any organic label. The industry with organic is about as political as the FDA is. Uh, they're just... It's uh, there's a lot of hoops to jump through, and it's basically like if you have enough money, you can get your certification, or it, it's very expensive. So that's why a lot of supplements are not FDA approved because it costs it costs a ton of money. Uh, and there's a lot of things that are organic, but they aren't labeled organic because it costs a ton of money to get certified. So there's a group of foods called the Dirty Dozen. So if you're going to spend money on organic. These are the ones that you want to make sure that you get organic because they either have the highest pesticide load or you're eating the actual physical structure that was been sprayed by pesticides. So top of the list is strawberries uh, because this, the, they're sprayed with methyl bromide and that is an organic soap that actually becomes part of the cell of the strawberry and you cannot physically wash that off. So spend the extra dollar and a half for organic strawberries. They taste so much better and they're better for you. Spinach is next on the list, then nectarines, then apples. Apples are up there because they are actually, they have the highest amount of pesticides sprayed on them of any food. Uh, so organic apples, grapes, uh, a side note on grapes. It's like, think about the quality of wine that you're drinking. If Grapes are on the dirty dozen and you're drinking just conventional wine that is super concentrated with the skins of grapes and the flesh of grapes. How much pesticide load do you think we're getting? So I think that that's going to be a huge up and coming market with organic certified wineries, just because that's a huge pesticide load. We're basically taking a hyper concentrated uh, liquid form of something that's on the dirty dozen. Peaches are on there, cherries, pears, tomatoes, celery, potatoes, and bell peppers. So that's the dirty dozen. I'll post it in the show notes. And so those are the ones that you want to, to buy organic. There are also, there's a list called the clean 15, where if you're on a limited budget, which all of us are, like there's not unlimited money here. So if you're on a budget in you, it's cheaper to buy conventional or you're in a smaller town where you can't get organic everything. These are the ones that it's like, okay, these are not sprayed with a bunch of pesticides. You can get away with conventional. And those are avocados, sweet corn, pineapple, cabbage, onion, sweet peas, papayas, asparagus, mangoes, eggplant, honeydew melon, kiwis, cantaloupes, cauliflower, and broccoli. So we kind of see a theme here. The Dirty Dozen, they're things with edible skins, edible seeds, uh, and, or they have a very high pesticide load. 
Um, the clean 15, you got a lot of tropical variants with uh, the pineapple, the papaya, the mango, the kiwi. Um, and then you have your cruciferous vegetables with the broccoli and cauliflower. Um, so those are the clean 15 and I'll also post those in the notes. Um, organic also matters with dairy. Like I said, it doesn't matter with meat for me. Uh, cause I don't, if I see a pound of ground beef that is eight bucks and one says organic, and then there's one that's eight bucks and that says grass fed, I'm going to grab the grass fed a hundred times out of a hundred, but Organic does matter with dairy, because if you look at uh, the herbicides, pesticides and poisons, those are stored in the fat. So uh, being a proponent of a, a high fat diet and good quality fats, uh, I tend to deviate to more of the higher fat dairy when I do consume dairy, which we don't do it a lot because my wife does not tolerate dairy very well. And I know that that for me, it's just used sparingly as a treat. Uh, when we get butter, we get the Kerrygold grass-fed butter just because that's a better omega-3 to omega-6 ratio and it tastes better. But with organic dairy, you can get the full-fat dairy and you don't have the herbicide, pesticide, and uh, carcinogen load that you do in conventional dairy. So if you're getting conventional dairy, get the lower fat just because it's going to be a lower pesticide, herbicide, antibiotic load delivered to your system. But if you can get uh, full fat organic dairy, that's going to be the best for you, in my opinion. Uh, also, support your local farms. Like when you can go out, take the family out to the farmer's market, we're actually headed out there after I get done with this podcast. We'll go out to the Pearl, support some local farmers. You're getting stuff that is locally grown with good nutrients from the local soil, it's going to be healthier for you because it is composed of all local natural ingredients. When people are doing honey for allergies, they don't get honey from Argentina. They get local honey because that has more of the, the beneficial components to help you with allergies. It's my opinion that if you're eating things that are around the same zip code as you that have grown in that area or raised in that area, there's less of a potential for negative things to happen because you can know the farmer, trust the farmer, just ask them questions. So that's a, a very powerful thing. And I do like supporting local farmers in getting fresh local produce that was picked when it was ripe not picked when it was green and then shipped on a barge and, and then it ripened in a, a shipping container over the course of two weeks. You can't convince me that that has the same amount of nutrients in it as something that was picked and then thrown on a truck and taken it to the farmer's market the next day. That, that if you allow something to ripen on the actual plant and it's a smaller scale operation that has been taken, it, it was just a lot more thoughtful process than these large scale operations. So I hope that answers some of the questions. Uh, if there's any follow-up that's needed uh, from Tom and Neil, just shoot me a comment in that. But I hope you guys enjoy this Q&A format. I'm going to try and do about one of these a week. And this two-question format seems to be the best. So I'll try and hit two or three questions a week. 
but enjoy the rest of your weekend. Enjoy episode 11. And if you haven't already, uh, go on, give us a review. It helps us um, move up the ranks on iTunes. It helps me help you and, and get better every time at doing this. So thanks again, guys, and we'll see you for the next episode 12.